everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player, a D3 all-star, and a guy who peaked in high school use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about everything but. Now here's John, Luke, and Tex. Drive on. Kick the wheels right before the hammer strikes to make sure the levels fall from low. I got them girls shining oh so bright. Hey, Tex. Hey, Luke. What are we talking about? Books today? Well, I'm out of here. All right. Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> Mouth breather. John, how yeah. are you? I'm good. I brought plenty of books. Mm. Mm. Today is story time. Those uh, papery what? things with some keep, keep talking. squiggly things on there. Uh-oh. Tex looks like he is, So for our listeners, Tex has just stepped away from the podcasting table, opened up for serious burns. John, how are you feeling about Tex's t-shirt tuck uh, in his, his Wranglers with whatever that belt well, is? What do you call that uh, He's trying to make his leg, uh, his leg length um, over 28 inches. Is that what it, so guys that tuck their shirts in are just trying to make... Their legs look longer. Legs look longer? When, when you have a 20-inch or 28-inch inseam in your pants, uh-huh. by tucking your shirt in, you can effectively give it like a, maybe a 29. <laughs> Where'd you get that belt? I think Debbie Gibson called from the 80s and wants to show that she wants her belt back. Oh, my rhinestone belt? Rhinestone okay, cowboy. So I'm burn, back. Burns unintended. Seriously, though, how long have you been rocking that belt? Oh, 20, 2010. So that, that, wow, that belt is a decade old. I thought he was going to say that like 30 years, like uh, 1990. I got this in like junior high school or something. No, I got it at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo in 2010. You remember my wallet that I had for yeah. just a little bit too long? Yeah. Same day. Same day. Huh. Also had rhinestones on it. <laughs> it had a bull. It had a, it was a bull riding I it was wallet. Bez- I thought it was bedazzled. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, listen, like I like it was a bull riding billfold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wait, I, I feel like a bill ever... riding a bullfold? No, it was a bull rider on a billfold. Oh, so there was a bull rider. Bull billfold. Not, yeah, it's called it, bull billfold. It wasn't a uh, bill a bull riding a billfold. And it wasn't a bill riding a bullfold either, which is important. Yeah. John, how it, long do your belts last? Uh, I wear, uh, like, um, you remember like the, uh, I guess they're fabric, like slide belts, yeah, yeah. like, uh, you wear in, in, as like Boy Scout. Yeah. And then, like, so it's like got the adjustable, the, the, sh- the like the, 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 the metal clasp yeah. that you slide through and then you pull the like cinch bar. Right? Uh, I've been wearing those since, uh, probably Boy Scouts, yeah, maybe well, before that. Why? And they, you, they only I'm last when they break and then why I go you, find Yeah. So like what's, how, but they break. Like maybe every five years or something. Yeah, yeah it's not very. Or often. there was that one time I remember, like the buckle. I think we were at the airport and the buckle fell off <laughs> in the toilet or something. Remember that? <laughs> and so like we, we had this whole trip to go, plenty of walking. You brought one belt, and like the pants were way too big on the waist, but because you know like <laughs> yeah, yeah. just so John's walking around with four inch too big p- pant waist, easily no belt. I mean belt with no buckle. Yeah, and just had to like. Haul, you know, like hold his pants. I up. think I ended up finding a belt, but uh, uh, yeah, I was. Oh standing, yeah, you had to I, buy one. I, I was in the bathroom and um, you know going to do my business, and uh, as I did undo the belt, the belt buckle fell in and right into the toilet, and I was like, shit. 
just fucking leave it. I'm not putting my hand in this fucking bathroom toilet. Yeah. So when John left, I went in and grabbed yeah, it. Yeah. That's a belt I've been using ever since. No. Oh, well, I was going to suggest no, you so, show the audience your well, cord. Well, I've got... Your so, cord. No, listen. So my belt situation is I always break mine. Like leather, fabric, whatever. I break them because I ride my shit hard. You guys know this. I'm always redlining. So I got this elastic belt now from Amazon. It was like 20 bucks. And it's got like, uh, it's kind of like the same clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got to say, I really dig it. It's like wearing sweatpants, but it looks like you're wearing a real belt. So I'm a big advocate of that. Hasn't broke yet. I'm expecting it to break soon. Yeah, yeah. Well, now that you've brought it up, it'll break itself. But it is no bull riding billfold belt that matches. This is the belt that I wore when I rode the bull. It's a reason he almost died because no cowboy would wear that belt. Disagree. I also remember you dragging dragging you home many a nights from bars with my using this belt. (laughs) Oh well, yeah, in South Africa. Yeah, she's thirty. This has been to six continents, and then wasn't that guy's move to wake me up? You're like. Yeah. undo his belt and take his boots off yeah yeah so Tex had been roofied uh, this is like a lot to unpack with this story but the dude who didn't speak English I'm like I need help moving this guy where was this at? in South, South Africa, Africa. Yeah. and he's like watch this and he just started to unbutton Tex's pants I'm like what in the fuck <laughs> is going on here and Tex just woke up and walked to bed <laughs> like oh, don't like what's going on here I'm not in the safe zone and it like it would have been better if he just put his hands behind his head and was like yeah yeah, yeah I'm ready very bizarre. Very bizarre. Scene. How many times has that dude done that? Exactly. He I mean, the fact that he knew he's had, all he had to do was fiddle with your pants. Hmm? <sighs> well, this is a very dense. A lot to unpack. We could go hours just on the intro subjects we've had so far. Oh, my but, God. But, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, it's time for a crew it. episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Ing. That's right. Uh, we have the hotline. The hotline is open, and it is hot. We have lots of messages here. We're going to just randomly select one here and go with it. Enhance. Ladies and gentlemen, the number to the hotline, if should you have questions that you want answers to, is 929-464-464. That's 929-ing-ing. Zero. That's right. So call us up, leave a message, be bold, be brief, be gone, and we will expand and answer anything you drop us. So randomly, totally unprepared for today's questions. Coincidental stack of books here. Oh, looks like the selector has picked this little guy. Hey, what's up, the crew? I was calling because I have a really good question for you guys. I want to know what are some good basic literacy inside of strength and conditioning books that I could go and read to be able to have a better idea of what is offered inside of the Power Athlete Coaching Seminar as well as the courses that you provide online. I'm a guy who loves strengthening and conditioning, nerds out about it all the time, but doesn't have the resources to go and get a kinesiology degree or any sort of accredited degree at a university. So if you guys could help that help out a guy, that would be awesome. Thanks and bye. Uh, bye. Hey, people helping people. It's powerful stuff. I like I like a self-taught individual, right? Who just is resourceful, willing to make the investment and dig in. But it's also hard to like just randomly pick, right? So you Well, I mean, the best place starts with the methodology. I mean, it's really the premier strength and conditioning book in strength and conditioning, conditioning Ing. with a podcast. And the good news is you can get it at almost any bookstore. 
Wait, no, that's not the good news. The good news is there's one place to get it. So you won't Power be confused. Athlete methodology. So if you log in to the old academy.powerathletehq.com, this book right here that Tex has just coincidentally and conveniently put on display um, comes in hardback, paperback, and comes only with registration into the Power Athlete Methodology Level 1 course, which, um, man, we've had thousands of coaches come through. Of that, hundreds have actually taken the next step to put into practice everything in that book in front of us for evaluation. Uh, so that is the pipeline, and that is ultimately what what our caller is talking about in terms of like the courses and the online course and in-person seminars. So that's what we're looking at now. And the stack of books behind that sucker, I think, are the ones that have been influential in framing out that methodology in general. And then there's a few specific ones that are really used in the course, right? Would you say that, uh, that the books like are, I mean, he, you know, his question had to do with like, uh, you know, what books have you guys read that would give me insight within the methodology? And like, as I sat here and thought, I'm like, man, this is, you know, a culmination of a lot of reading, a lot right. of knowledge right. and whatnot. So, and the methodology as well is like pretty narrow, condensed, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's narrowed and like simplified and distilled, focused on application, right? And a lot of these books are essentially a lot of mm-hmm. theory. So there's shades that. of gray here. So we're uh-huh. gonna go a little bit outside well, of that. Uh, right? I would say that as influential into the methodology courses, maybe some of these books are. The podcast has been as influential. Yeah, the guests. In terms of having guests on and really just kind of molding the thinking. And that that is the beauty is these are ideas that are trapped within these books, but then we have the authors on and then we get the opportunity to explore where their mind was, how they applied it to then distill this principle, this tool, this program, and then we can break it down and digest it. So that is a lot of these books that I have in front. We've had the opportunity, fortunately, to Mm -hmm. discuss with the authors in why why they came to their conclusion. Mm -hmm. So I think what's interesting for a caller here is like, number one, your opportunity could be to go ahead and register for the methodology course. And we literally, like we've taken it and organized it and cataloged it and translated it mm-hmm. for you curated. in an order, right? So curated and almost like distilled it, though. Don't you think, yeah. John? Like yeah. to like normal people talk, so that like if you're looking for basic literacy, which is what I wrote down, is like I think some of the stuff that we're going to push out isn't. I mean, it's hard to say. Like, it's not the most basic stuff. It should be. Like, if you're coaching, uh, you know what? It's kind of like. Um, uh, ye- most people shouldn't have to read super training right to like figure if you out could go side training. by side Hatfields yeah. power versus super training you're getting like power is a lot easier to read than yeah super my training. well my suggestions progress yeah in okay. that order yeah I think there's a deal but I'll, I'll tell you this I mean I read power but the conversations I had with dr. Fred Hatfield were by far more influential than the book you know, understanding like what he was thinking, how he got to these points and understanding the backstory was extremely helpful in deciphering really the total puzzle. Mm-hmm. So where do you want to start? Text. Well, I know you've got a list here. And he's checking it twice. Well, my lead off is power uh-huh. because it is written with the same panache and yeah, character. I, you know, I knew you were going to say panache. When I put Get my hands my up head. like this. Yeah. <laughs> Like Panache. like you need like a like a small French cigarette when you do that. And I so think. for our listeners who aren't watching on YouTube, Tex has his fingers kind of pinched together, the forefinger and thumb, like he's crumpling a little booger he just picked, like mm, Matthew like McConaughey in that Lincoln commercial. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When that Jim like, Carrey does not He's like, yeah, yeah roll tiny boogers. In uh, I don't. I don't have power here. The reason being, no, you loaned it. Oh, Dude. never. 
Is it? Uh, oh, it's, and uh, I know why. it's under one side of your bed so that your bed won't collapse. No, if I could figure out a way to frame a book, I would because when yeah. we had the opportunity during the last interview that you sat down with him, I asked him to autograph autograph yeah. the book, Doctor Squat, and mm-hmm. it's stay strong. And that wasn't two, like it's, two texts, stay strong, Doctor Squat. But you didn't listen. What? Huh? He asked you to stay strong. <laughs> Burn bin. Uh-huh. Oh my. Anyway, <laughs> but the. I love the personality that he brings to his writing Mm. and it is directed at the application and he goes into what your very interoceptive author and he's speaking to the athlete versus the coach. Mm -hmm. So that is where I feel a lot of coaches can be in a good position to begin is internalizing this information as he describes it so they can feel it. And then when they begin to articulate action to their athletes, they almost have this connection through Hatfield as an athlete authoring this versus a coach, mm-hmm. which we get into science and practice and super training. Those are coaches applying their information. But then that power is representative of I'm an athlete writing this book mm-hmm. to help you as an athlete train. It's kind of, is it a hard book to find? Didn't TC have a hard time finding oh, it? Oh, they've reprinted it oh, yeah. they since reprint it. He, yeah. our initial podcast. And I feel we had something to do with it. Yeah, oh, nice. maybe we were able to spark a little bit, but it's a good book. I mean, uh, I mean, but just such an influential dude. I mean, the opportunities that I had to talk with him offline, but also on the podcast, are really helped me understand. You know, it's, yeah, uh, for, it's a good one. You know, what we should do in show I'm, notes is get that like so Hatfield. So we have the this? final ep, uh, interview with yeah. uh, you know Dr. Fred Hatfield. Doctor Squad has since passed away, and we had a uh, enough foresight to go down to Houston to see him. And actually do a podcast with him. And I yeah. think it was the last recorded so, podcast that he did before he passed. Two opportunities to listen to Hatfield number Power Athlete Radio number 68, mm-hmm. 2014. And then uh, it is on YouTube as a On yeah. the Long Road with John. So how about this text? And we'll then 208. Yeah. We'll put this in the blog post. And ladies yes. and gentlemen, go to your show notes and the thing. You're, we'll put for this episode, we're going to put the, sh- the link to. The blog post, which is going to have all this reference in there. And just click through on that. Okay. Yeah, like all the links to all this stuff. So. Cool. Um, sorry, not to cut off the, the discussion but, on Hatfield. Yeah, Hatfield. Yeah. Number one. What do you got, big guy? Um, I think for really like one of the most, well, I'd say probably one of the most influential books that I read for strength conditioning was uh, Zadiskorsky Science and Practice. So for me personally... Uh, that put so much into focus that I kind of consider that uh, kind of the guiding light. Mm-hmm. Um, it really just put a lot of stuff, you know, in terms of like understanding rep maxes, time under tension, duration, you know, the idea of specificity in the training, GPP, SPP, and the progression. Like I, I read that book and was like, okay, like this this gives me a framework in which I can uh, understand strength conditioning and training and performance. And so uh, I always kind of like lean back on that one. I mean, super training was pretty impactful, but I really think science and practice of strength training by Sadoskorsky is a must read. Mm-hmm. In, in line with that, because that, that is my number two, and the reason being it introduces principles. So this is something that we lean very much so on in the Power Athlete Methodology and to quote Ron McKeefery, he's a principle-based coach versus a philosophy-based mm-hmm. uh, coach. And they begin to introduce from very articulate, easy to understand laws that yep. can guide your understanding of strength that are very difficult to 
They well, can't be out-trained. Then you're Well, they're laws of nature. So that's, that's the one thing I really took away. Like the idea of strength is a law of nature. Well, we, we break it into uh, biological and then application in terms of the principles of how we interpret these and then distribute within the methodology. So there are biological laws and principles, and then there are application principles that you're not going to hack your way around these. Mm -hmm. Just straight up tried and true strength and conditioning, setup, execution, and so on. So, so you mean drinking bulletproof coffee? Maybe putting butter and MCT oil in your coffee will not allow you to circumvent the principles of strength and conditioning? Don't be crazy, John. Okay, sorry. What, what, what do you, what do you, what's your hack quote, Luke? Which one? If you're <laughs> if you're talking to me about a hack, it's because you're a hack. That's the one I said. Something along those lines. Yeah, that's my hack quote. I got a lot of them. Yeah, hack you has, hack. Stop hack, being hack, such a hack. Hackity hack hack hack. Uh, yeah, science and practice is number two behind power, and then three in terms of following up this list of easier to understand uh, after you read said book. Power, oh. power will set you up for science and practice. Science and practice will set you up for the, the NSCA's Essentials of Strength and Conditioning. Mm -hmm. uh, dense, by the book, and they uh, steer you away from a lot of opportunities to get big, strong, quick. Yeah, I... Um, yeah. Sorry. Man, I, I know you're a big uh, NSCA guy, but um, I didn't read that and feel like my hair was lit on fire. Well, here's the reason being is as a strength and conditioning coach, if our listener decides to turn professional and versus an enthusiast, he would gain a lot of opportunity and access by sitting and passing the CSES. And you, it's going to be difficult to do that without their book that leads to the test. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say that. But then... The principles, the application, to the basic science. This book, Essentials, is split into basically science and practice. And it'll help you understand their language to then take the test better. Mm -hmm. So if you want to pass the test. You have to read their textbook. You have to read their textbook. Believe it or not. Mm, shocker. Um, but so it is on my list. And then I do believe if you want to turn pro the CSCS gives you a lot of access and opportunity to coach said athletes. Mm -hmm. uh, my next set of books would be uh, from Charlie Francis. So uh, Speed Trap, his lactic mm. acid, tolerance training, and the structure of speed were all very, very influential when I was really trying to analyze how to develop speed and how it kind of fit within the paradigm of strength conditioning. There had always been kind of a general understanding that you can't build speed in the weight room. And I believe we dispel that myth pretty well by teaching posture and position and the ability to move through full range of motion movements under load as a application towards speed, but also understanding that strength is many times not the limiting factor in speed. Mm -hmm. Like um, we have people all the time like, hey, my squat went up and I got faster. That's true because that was the deficit, but what becomes the next deficit, which you did to get where you are today isn't necessarily what's gonna help you get there tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So understanding, uh, um, and we still laugh about Charlie's vertical integration model, which isn't really a vertical integration model um, based upon when, you know, Luke showing me what vertical integration models are. Um, I thought that was uh, the stuff and is also Charlie's uh, videos on the GPP med ball work and all that I consider uh, really excellent. But I think you got to read Charlie's stuff. And if you really want to understand kind of, uh, I would say, 
the philosophy that, that I've taken towards speed. It's been Charlie's deal. Like you got to run fast to go fast. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's training in a no man's land. You got to build a big aerobic base. There's a ton of technique work. Strength is, is important. Same as, uh, you know, being rigid and this and just a lot of really good stuff. So, uh, I've definitely put Charlie Francis's couple work in there. Um, and then my other one would be, I think every strength coach should read some West Side Barbell, whether it's the Book of Methods mm-hmm. or one of Louis' special strength training books. I think it's interesting to see the way that Louis approached it and the idea of like you need to do something heavy and you need to move fast and how, uh, you know, and, and his way of uh, attacking volume in terms of special exercises. Mm-hmm. Like you can, you know, um, I think we'd look at it, but we're also not training power lifters. Right. So the problem becomes... Uh, people are trying to extrapolate this information out for athletes, even though Louis does train athletes. But if you look at the way he trains them, uh, it's it's within the method. And then also, uh, I read that book and then went out to Westside and hung with Louis and realized that diversion. Yeah, what the they were not doing what they said they were doing in the book, and mm-hmm. and starting to understand that the book is just kind of a framework, and the effective you know building of the house happens in the actual you know, facility and under the toolage of Louis. So that was really pretty impactful. Yeah, it's like, um, I mean, you get, I imagine what he does there, and from the stories you've told, John, and like others that have been able to visit the dude, there is. is like... Um, There's our buddy Louis Simmons. A high All level right. of specificity based off of his coach's instincts and yeah. intuition, right? So like, which, how are you supposed to, like, how are you supposed to put that in any sort of well, uh, written form? was interesting was when I was out there, he had a young, uh, so I was already, you know, I just retired from the NFL when I went out there and there was a young guy who was a college player who was getting ready for the NFL. And uh, Louis asked, hey, can you put him through some technique stuff? And so as we started kind of like, you know, and I always start with like, hey, let me see your stance. Like, and as we, as he got into his stance, uh, I realized the dude was super tight in his hips. And uh, I was like, yo, man, you got to sink a little bit. And I was trying, and then I showed him, I was like, hey, man, like this is the position you got to get into. And as I got like sunk my hips and kind of arched my back a little bit and got into this position to lift my head, I was like, can you do this? And the kid couldn't physically get into the position I needed. And then we started talking about movement and stepping and this. And like as soon as the kid took a step, his head came up. As soon as I took a step, like my head was, was even. And like even within like two minutes, Louis was like, if you're the model to play for 10 years, this kid ain't even going to get a fucking day. Mm-hmm. He's like, he had uh, no flexibility and like all of these issues that Louis just observed. And uh, he's like, you know, a lot of this stuff can't be taught. It can only be cultivated. And so, uh, you know, that guy never got an opportunity to play, but it was just pretty interesting that Louis has the ability to look and see athletes train, see the deficit, and then put different movements and different programs together for them to build up those deficits. Mm-hmm. Like he had, um, I think when uh, Tex and I were there with Bobby, uh, he remember he had that uh, track girl uh-huh. uh, who was working on the uh, on the West Side belt squat, and she was doing a bunch of that med ball work. And uh, dude, she was, I mean, like unbe- like physically very impressive, but had like I think she came there and as like ran like I want to say uh, like a f- sub sixty second four hundred meters, and had shaved like considerable amount. I mean, like I'm. I'm going to date myself if I throw these times out, but I remember she had like made up like four seconds in that one year that she'd been training at Westside and she was a runner at Ohio state. So, uh, and it was when I asked her, I was like, what do you think the biggest uh, difference was? And she was like, I do everything on this machine. She was doing marches. She was doing sprints. She was doing like all the med ball work. It was a very interesting experience 
and west side at the time i don't know how it is now but it was almost split into two rooms it's still the same still the same and there's just one doorway that broke in between the two rooms in this one side of the room it had the leaderboard it had all these monos bench press and all that and it was packed to the gills with dudes training and people just observing and watching then you had this back room with a belt squat machine uh, a whole bunch of other accessory work gear and then it was like this girl and a handful and like of other 50 people different training. reverse hypers. Yeah. And then John, Louie, me, Bobby, and we're like fucking around on the belt squat and this girl's hitting med ball work. And it was just hilarious. Like this athlete is training and we're like, oh fuck, this is awesome. And these other dudes are yeah, being oh, me. Yeah. They like were just suited up blowing eye sockets out. It was crazy. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was good. But I think the, um, I, I think if you're going to be in the strength conditioning realm, at least in like something on like a United States world stage, whether you want to work with professional athletes or even college athletes or really anything, I think you have to understand where Westside Barbell fits in. And more importantly, the application of like, uh, you know, the uh, law of accommodation, um, um, you know, chains and bands, which is accommodating resistance. Like, I think you have to understand where that comes into play because you're going to walk into a situation in a high school where a high Someone's school coach be, yeah. got, got romanced into thinking that, you know, accommodating resistance is the greatest way to build athletes and realize when you walk in, you're like, okay, that might be true for a special population, but the individuals in here are relatively new amateurs and there's a very real set of laws that have to be followed and adhered. And I think what we do really well within the methodology is like, here's the progression of training. This is point A and this is how we move you along the line. Whereas a lot of these programs just kind of drop into a certain segment. Like uh, the West Side stuff, even though they've trained beginners for the most part, like I remember talking to Louie and he's like, you know, when Dave, sh- Dave, you know, Dave Hoff showed up here at like, you know, 16 or 17 years old and now he does this. I'm like, dude squatted 800 pounds before he ever walked in here. Mm-hmm. Now he squats 1300. It's been amazing. But like he was still an 800 pound squatter under the age of 20 when he showed up. So like, what did the strength training look like? I mean, what is the foundation? And um, I think that's a interesting piece where we've kind of segmented is this idea of like, this is what you need to do on day one. When that ends here, you get into the next program and we've really talked about progression. My next book, we yeah. gotta get there. Super training, bum, so bum, progressing bum. from. So that's number four? It's, well, it's so dense. I am saying number four, but the first chapter oh, alone. So you're doing, I see what you're doing. Oh here. my, dude, it is, it is awesome, it is dense. And it will take you as far as you ever need to go as a professional coach. Or if you're just an enthusiast, spend a long time, a year within that chapter one. And the other, the first books that I outlined will put you in a position to understand what the hell they're talking about. It is extremely valuable. They break down into phases of coordination, development that will put you in line to understand bedrock, Mm -hmm. field strong, the, the seasonality of that and any other program for specific adaptation and then the imposed demands and i very valuable just that first chapter alone if you want to read on but i see what you're doing that's all uh, you need you know there's so much good stuff in super training but really the the nugget that i use and you've heard me use it on this podcast numerous numerous times is when they start talking about uh, like I think I think that is my book, isn't it? This is your copy. Yeah, yeah that is. I saw the highlight. I sleep with mine. <laughs> <laughs> so there was an interesting piece where I was trying to figure out 
what happened when I was doing traditional CrossFit when I went to go play football, where I felt like I couldn't access that that higher gear. Mm-hmm. And there was a really interesting point where they talked about circuit training and general physical preparedness. Yeah, submaximal repeated sub, volume. Sub, submaximal repeated volume causing a conversion of fast twitch muscle fibers to slow twitch muscle fibers to be able to do it. And as soon as I read that, it was like, uh, I remember exactly where I was. I was actually in Mexico at Joe Capucho's wedding, sitting on a lawn chair, drinking a pina colada or margarita or something, reading super training, which I know sounds incredibly dorky, but uh, Tex is probably ecstatic about that. And uh, I read that piece. The reading part of the pina colada part. And I both. I, I'm like, a sucker for mojitos. <laughs> I'm a fiend fiend for me, mojitos. My bad. (laughs) So as I read that, I think I slowly drained the margarita, went up, got or got another one, and came back, reread it, and drained that one, and thought, shit. If only I had read this before, I would have understood because I had this theory that if you could build a really big glycolytic engine it would effectively leak in every direction. Yeah. Right? Like, hey, I'm going to build this incredible glycolytic capacity. Where'd you get that idea? Uh, <laughs> I, you know. There's an infamous uh, article out there. and I wonder how it's been redacted and modified. And, you know, the, the, it was the, um, oh, my God, I can't believe I forgot. CrossFit Journal. Is the what is fitness? Yeah. Is when they did it. Like, yeah. I remember we used to hand that out to new members and blah, blah, blah. But that segment was in there on, like, the back page. Yeah. I can see it in my mind's eye. And that's where he talked about the glycolytic, uh, massive glycolytic um, capacity. Uh, more, like The potent neuroendocrine yeah. response we'll and all that. We'll get you a 500 pound deadlift quicker than steroids. I, yeah. I found it, those who have this version, page 69. Yeah. Nice. And it's highlighted. Nice. Uh, any, in, it's section 1.13. So, What does it say? Read it to us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's see, quickly, a moderate intensity, high repetition resistance exercise is commonly used in bodybuilding and circuit training, can also convert fast twitch or behave more like slow twitch fibers, apparently in an adaptive attempt to resist the fatigue of the repeated efforts. Thus, the capacity of strength endurance seemed to increase. Uh, Only reading John's highlights here, skipping along. For those reasons, it would appear that high volume, moderate resistance training is actually high intensity General endurance. Mm-hmm. So general endurance, and then a exactly big, what the offensive lineman in the NFL. No, needs. exactly <laughs> wrong. And a big so, CF written next, next to, it. to it because that F-U-C-F. Uh, I was. I'm not kidding you, man. I was in Mexico at Joe Capucho's wedding. Read that sitting on a lawn chair mm-hmm. and uh, realized what happened to my tenth year in the NFL and getting hurt and that whole deal, and realized that uh, mm-hmm. I basically set my career on the altar, set it on fire, and then realized that my mission going forward was to make sure that no athlete ever makes that mistake again. Yeah. And then I started with CrossFit football, and then all of a sudden I see like the New Orleans Saints are doing CrossFit, and yeah. I was like, No, John Moreno, and then the Saints, and yeah. like all these people are getting pinged and hurt. And yeah, they're just getting out and fucking like, imploding. And you know what's crazy, dude? Like, so that's also for listeners who haven't yet hit 414, right? That's our 1RM episode text? Correct. Uh, that we reference this as well. Yeah. Like where you'll see this, if you're naturally twitchy and poppy dude who goes into CrossFit, and has like experience with one RMs, you're gonna notice that like, you know, if you were to plot your your ten eight or ten seven five three one RM, right? You kind of have this curve, and after CrossFit, you're gonna see it like flatten out, right? Yeah, where your three is your single. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And five more pounds on your triple is going to get you one. And yeah. like, so that's indicative of that yeah. adaptation. And I think people don't like, people have probably experienced it, but just don't even know it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like well, but, their uh, triple's going up but they don't to their single. Because they're general enthusiasts. They yeah. don't have a metric to tr- to test it. So I, you know, all of a sudden I go, I smoke my conditioning test to the point where like, I remember my offensive line coach at the, um, who since passed away. Uh, and I can't remember his fucking name. Uh, at the Patriots, uh, Scargnetti, he uh, he comes over and he's like, "Wow, uh, that was the fastest conditioning test we'd have in a long time." He's like, "You smoked that." He's like, "I hope you can play, still play football." And he made some fucking smart ass comment. Yeah. And I was like, "Why?" I was like, you know, and I made a joke. I'm like, "Really? This doesn't sound like that good a time." And uh, and then all of a sudden, I go and they had me playing. I think it was I can't remember if I was I no I was playing right tackle and all of a sudden I got down I was running with the ones Tom Brady's in and I hear you know hey we're going to one said hut and all of a sudden like I would always move before the ball and when I went to move I was like and I felt like I couldn't fucking get where I needed to go yeah, and it was yeah. like I, I pushed that dude out of the backside of the pocket and I remember thinking like oh shit yeah I made a mistake and um, you know and the problem is uh, there are principles of strength and performance and power that need to be adhered to. And I thought that I could effectively hack into the backside by building a bigger glycolytic engine. And all it did was it fucking made me slow. It's the black box. Yeah. I mean, well, but the problem was, is that there was, re- I mean, like I didn't have people around me, like, like the, the knowledge that we have in the practical application over the last 10 years and what we've done has, uh, not only virally pushed the CrossFit market in, a, in the better direction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as you know, like there was no paradise strength template before CrossFit football. Mm-hmm. But what we effectively did is we convinced millions of people that it was better to be strong than elite. And I think, you know... And now you look at the games and, and dude, yeah. it's all fucking heavy stuff. The general CrossFit like claims, I don't... I think the problem is it's misappropriated for a trained athlete. Yeah. Within that novice window, right, which is we reference in science practices, the Hatfield references, super, super training training. references, you are going to get these mythical gains that CrossFit claims. So, like, it's true, it works, but not yeah. forever. Yeah. And is it the most effective way for a long term training uh, life cycle? Absolutely not. But, like, if you, as a business mechanic and yeah. a sales mechanic and retention tool, it's great for like a small business. It's fantastic. And, well, like, and getting people generally fit and healthier, the, it mm-hmm. it works in that model. And the problem is, is that, it, it you know, the age old, like, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, the demands of a professional athlete and grandma are the same. Yeah, that was incorrect. Uh, that, that was incorrect. And the application of using, you know, and the training needs to be identical, just the g- degree of intensity and mm-hmm. resistance uh, needs to be adjusted. And that's just simply not true. I think that the more accurate statement is probably the demands of the professional athlete and the grandmother can be the same, which is a huge fucking nuance because at some point in time, there may be overlap that that could be proven true. Is it probable? No. Is it possible? Yes. Hence, could be the same. Yeah, it could. And that is like, I think maybe the the magic's in that one little word there. So the... Well, I don't want to do them any favors by making a connection for them. So I'm going to rest in peace this, yeah, let's, this discussion. Yeah, put it to death. All right, John, you're up. Uh, so uh, Special Strength Training oh. Manual for Coaches by Verkashansky, uh, Yuri Verkashansky and his daughter, uh, I guess it's Natalia, uh, 
unbelievable book. So Verkashansky co-wrote Super Training with Mel Siff. Uh, I think there was a little bit of friction with um, who thought they were getting the attention and whatnot yeah. and who did what. So I know there was always a little bit of friction. So while that is an extremely important book, this special strength training manual was extremely impactful for me and especially in the early days when we started Field Strong and uh, some of the cross of football we saw with like, um, what is it, like the Russian Bridge and some of the other like um, small blocks of like two week accumulation yeah. phases. Like I got a ton of that stuff and we used that a bunch in the early training when I was back at Balboa and testing all this stuff. So this book was extremely impactful as well. Yeah, and the, the version of Super Training, if you can find it, it's split into Sif and Verkashansky. Yep. And now, like the latest version, that backside Verkashansky, it isn't there. So like the version... So they pulled it. Yeah. Did he pull it? Well, uh, Sif is no longer with yeah, us, so uh, whoever's and, in charge... And Verkashansky passed away. Uh, so, so Verkashansky... Wouldn't that be the publisher? Or do you think they have no, created... No, uh, there was a falling out. Like, I know they came together... Um, Obviously, Sif was like the thing in Colorado. Verkashansky's obviously Russian. I know they came together to kind of co-wrote this book, but I think when it came out, there was friction, and then I think they separated the side, and then they eventually cut it. But I mean, that's why that original copy is so good. But um, Verkashansky used to have a forums. So if you Google Verkashansky forums, he had this forums where people used to ask questions, and he would get in there and answer stuff, and it was pretty uh, pretty amazing um, in that uh, you know. Louis Simmons always pays Verkashansky a lot of credit about, hey, you know, this is the, the the West Side method. And people would always ask Verkashansky, you know, where does West Side fit in? And he was uh, not very favorable towards it because they looked at this stuff not in a concurrent model, but in a block model. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to train for street speed, you train for speed. And if you're going to train for this. And so they looked at things kind of like within energy system block domains, whereas Louis trying to use a concurrent model where it's like you're going to do max effort and you're going to do speed, yeah. which I kind of like a concurrent yeah. model deal. Yeah, like like undulating. Yeah, undulating periodization, concurrent model. The reason being is for a lot of the people that we're looking for, I mean, like when you're talking about, let's say, uh, um, you know, Wes Kitts, who's got a, you know, a quad, a four-year cycle that he's working towards. It makes sense to say, hey, in this piece, we're periodizing, you know, he's going to work this and this and this, and he's going to progress over four years so they can sit down and design it. But a lot of the athletes we're really looking at aren't necessarily periodizing for anything. They need to be like a, you know, you're on hammer and you got, you're a warfighter door kicker, um, you know, to go in and a guy at a consult yesterday who was a um, police officer said that uh, he's like, man, I was doing hammer. And he goes, I've never felt so fast. He goes, dude, this guy jumped out of a car on a DUI stop. And he goes, dude, I hocked him within like, he, you know, he had a 20 yard head run and I hocked him in 10. And he's like, dude, my speed is through the roof. And uh, he was pretty excited about that. But that factor of like that individual needs to have that foot speed, not to, uh, not in six months, but today. Yeah. And if like, and then the next 5% increment may require like a speed block right sure. but right now and he still has to do his job while training yeah so we can't dig him too deep that right. negatively affects his and especially performance yeah. it like comes to the law of diminishing returns so if you want to get to the apex pinnacle speed for that individual <coughs> what is it, quit his fucking job and yeah. like well, it, live his life yeah like realistic like so, there's um i think there's like the optimal there's like the pinnacle there's the optimal 
and like there's like what you can accomplish yeah, like effective yeah like or, or like the min- minimal effective dose yeah. so i mean like what like like everybody has this idea of like this is what i would love to be in like a perfect world this would be kind of optimal and then what can i really get on paper with and i think the though that was an interesting thing in terms of reading Verkashansky stuff and seeing and you know and, and also um uh talking at a uh, great length with Dr. Romanoff, you know, who was a contemporary of Berkashansky, like that understanding of these guys really designing training programs, implementing a lot of these methods as a, a you know, a marker for a world championship, a gold medal. Um, you know, that was how these guys became master coaches. So everything was designed towards a pinnacle training performance. And when we started talking about a concurrent model in terms of like, you know, let's say like in the NFL where, you know, you're not training for just a weekend or a week, you're training for a, a really a six month duration and like periodizing something like a concurrent training model like we're using with the uh, undulating periodization kind of deal be, looks like it makes more sense mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, my, my final two together so I, I broke my list into basic reading execution strength and conditioning and then the last is is coaching but the final two strength and conditioning paired together are Franz Bosch's books mm. so the first is running and then the second is the strength and strength training and coordination an integrative approach that would be the final book and i suggest people spend the most time with because it is the most complex where i love the the charlie francis it in for sprinting mm-hmm. it was focused around more programming style where my takeaways from bosch were more of the the movement perspective of seeing sprinting and how he articulated broke it down and then provided different drills and and actions and steps and skills to then develop straight head speed and how he describes specificity in particular to get these training to transfer to their purpose Mm -hmm. uh breaking that down and and using that to really filter and cipher how we describe the breakdown and the execution and the transfer training of the squat step and the lunge and our primal movements to then field court sport and articulating that for coaches. Because uh, it's not just doing these exercises, it's how you set up and execute that then takes the transfer from the weight room, built speed within the weight room to then be expressed within the field and the speed. So very beneficial, but it is, uh, in my opinion, denser if you want to break it down and take the points away for you to then articulate and apply it. Mm-hmm. So Franz Bosch and certainly my goal for 2021 is to get him on Power Athlete Radio mm-hmm. and I don't know, book five hours. Sorry, Luke, but <laughs> yeah, we got a lot to talk about. So that those are the final piece. Once you get through Super Training 1, move on to these and they are dense. If you're still into sprinting, check out uh, Michael Yeses. Uh, he had a really good book called Explosive Running and then I don't even remember where I got this. This is called Training for Spent and Acceleration by Peak Performance, this little kind of deal. This little binder right here had some nuggets and some uh, some sprint like in terms of like programming, time domains, recovery, like uh, application that fit very well with the Charlie Francis stuff I did and that this book was extremely impactful. Uh, and then the final one for me, which I think everybody should have, mm-hmm. is Classic. the Arnold Schwarzenegger New Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding. I got this at a, a CrossFit Balboa Christmas party when we would do our white elephant gift. Yeah, yeah. 
So I grabbed, uh, somebody opened it, somebody had wrapped this book up and I was like, that's not leaving with you. And I, and I white elephant stole it and thank God nobody stole it from me. I think it's really good. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm sure right now, Zach Evan Ash is like, Oh, I love it. I know he's read this, uh, cover to cover, but, uh, it's pretty good. And, um, I don't necessarily know if I'd follow any of the training programs, but I think it's an interesting one that Arnold put together. I don't know. Uh, you know, they call it the Bible of bodybuilding. I'm sure it's since been revised numerous times, but I always think this is a good one. That's the like, hardcover. I have the, the paperback. So I always, and uh, I think I stole this from Raphael. If you want to learn how to make bigger athletes, you have to understand some bodybuilding because bodybuilding has perfected the art of creating larger athletes with bigger muscles. <laughs> larger cross-sectional size of muscle theoretically should be able to support more weight ways that sometimes people get stronger and many times we get our people stronger is on a program like Jack Street by increasing cross-sectional size of a muscle. So I think uh, all too often bodybuilding gets poo-hooed and I think you have to understand the principles of bodybuilding, eccentric loads, hypertrophy, if you want to create bigger, stronger dudes because if you're going to train football players or athletes that are, you know, power strength sports, putting on some muscle helps. Yeah, but it's that's why it's important also to like pair that with yeah. a science and practices super training to understand the implications of like reversibility of using tempo and eccentrics in and how that could potentially negatively affect right performance traits so like well there was a ton of uh, charles palquin stuff and we trained with david boston who had done a lot of uh, palquin's you know time under tension stuff and carried a ton of muscle but yet lacked a lot of the dynamic uh, explosive nature right. of what would be required. So there's really an interesting piece, man. Like, you know, they say like you are what you eat, like you are who, what you train. 100%. And if, uh, you know, submaximal efforts performed at high intensity over long duration is your workout, then that's going to be what you can access. If it looks like, you know, I mean, I recently posted uh, John's six rules for strength and muscle on uh, power athlete recently. And in there, I talked about the remarkable difference that I observed of athletes that trained over 85% and those who didn't mm -hmm. like there was just a different structure different understanding different physicality of those individuals and uh, i don't even know physicality yeah physicality is one it is now. just just the physical nature like just the appearance you see a guy with a shirt off like a guy bangs heavy weights opposed from guys that didn't and then people are like well how'd you know i'm like because we went in and lifted weights and i saw what they yeah. put on the bar you know and it's traps it, and shoulders yeah neck. It, like, it's and, and people that pulled heavy and like you know just weren't in there trying to balance on busu balls so i think mm -hmm. uh there is um and, you know, this is another thing we've talked at length about, uh, and I even talked about it in that article, is like, don't look at programming in terms of like accessory work. It feels like whenever I see these people doing training programs, especially on Instagram, social media, it just looks like a whole bunch of accessory work. Like, uh, you know, and that's like going to dinner and just ordering appetizers and salads. Like, I'm not mad at like uh, What's that dinner? small plate? Should, charcuterie? No, no. I'm not mad the at meats and cheese? I'm not mad at a charcuterie, but like a whole I'm restaurant. I'm uh, Tapas. 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 No, yeah. I always oh, leave. Training tapas? Get out. I, that is a sin. I, that is. I kind of like. Uh, well, hang on. You Am I lying? What's you, the difference? You kind of leave hungry, but you're still kind of full, but you're unfulfilled. Yeah. That's what I call like uh, the training dip. Training, training tapas. Ta training tapas. Is yeah. it tapas or tapas? It's tapas. What was uh, the place on Newport Boulevard, that Spanish place that we'd go in that did the tapas that had like the, you know what I'm talking about? Newport Boulevard. It was on the other side from uh, Cassidy's. And it was down towards, um, not Empire, but what was that place? Like, like okay, so you come from Sharky's and you'd go by that one bar that was like always changed something, you know? Aurora? Yeah, 
That's what it, I think it was called Aurora. Oh, I only knew that place for their sangria. I, and I was going to say they made a lot of Ming sangria, which <laughs> I think is like the hangover. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Dude, you want a hangover? Drink sangria. Oh yeah. It's oh, fat. the sugar. The, yeah. um, where is it going to go? Here, charcuterie is a terrible. How are you not mad at charcuterie? They give you six pieces of salami, a few slices of Swiss cheese, and $30. Yeah. Make and some it, mustard and honey. And make pickles and maybe some your olives. Own. Then you can have all the meats and cheeses you want. No. Look how serious he is. He's no, like, you, So you're <laughs> making your own charcuterie. Uh, When's the last time you've ever made your own charcuterie? No, I've Answer had it question. made for me. <laughs> had it made for uh, me. Saturday night, we had a charcuterie or charcuterie. Charcuterie? Charcuterie board. Yeah. And I love them. I think it's no, great. No, the flame, like, there's a place in, remember the place in Denver? Like the yes. Rusty Mule yeah. or yeah. something, right? Yeah, like, uh, that place you want to take me, the Rusty Trombone? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. You want one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you asking? <laughs> but they had a really good charcuterie. Okay, board. so you've... Dude, that but place... The there is, that place steak, that, the bill that, that steak was pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, that was no. Okay, was that I'm called transitioning. Rusty mule? I'm transitioning. I, I, we drank a bunch of mules. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. no change there. <laughs> the so now I'm switching into more coaching. There's so it, more books? Yeah, quickly. Uh-huh. They make more than six books? Oh, so God. if now this dude wants to start okay. to work okay. with people okay. Okay. a little bit different than simply understanding. The where we had uh, running for Franz Bosch ending your journey for uh, strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. I want you to start your coaching with our pal Jim Kiabasso's mm. mm. book here, The Ultimate Speed and Agility. So it is very simple running techniques that allow you to break down sprinting so you can educate others to start to do these things. And their speed will increase uh-huh. through doing these drills impaired with a program like Bedrock. So a great tool if you're beginning to work with others for change of direction, straight ahead speed, in simple, effective drills and how to communicate them and execute them well. So shout out to our boy Jim. That would be a great starting book for you're working with athletes, yeah. soccer, volleyball, so on and so forth. And then? And then for if you're interested in learning more about programming outside of the Power Athlete methodology, a great book for general programming would be the Triphasic, and it breaks programming down into different blocks Mm -hmm. that if I have the seasonality or only get six, eight, 12, 16 weeks to work with a kid or a summer, this is a great tool to apply to then pair with speed drills and things like that because they talk about sprinting in here, but they're not necessarily the tools to get you fast. It's Mm -hmm. just sprint. And I think like Tex, how much of this, actually keep going, I'll ask when um, you finish on the next two. Right, so if you're working with High school kids highly recommend Bedrock paired with Jim's book. Mm-hmm. But if you are interested in writing your own training, yeah, uh, it's a good tool to then see this and watch it unfold within an athlete. Right. Um, question. No, no. Go, go with these. Two okay. First. Uh, well, one is is featured. One is not featured here. One's at home. But uh, the language coaching. Our boy Nick Winkleman, two-time guest on Power Athlete Radio, and breaks this essentially coaching down into three phases uh, that I I can't recall off the top of my head, but just a great tool to uh, really look at communication and coaching a different way Mm -hmm. rather than just saying what you're thinking or the action you want your athlete to do. It's how to think of the best articulation to then get your athlete to do it rather than just say, 
you know, knees out, knees out, knees right. out. Right. Mm, what can I say to get this said action that I am looking for? Whatever that well, may I mean, be for but, my uh, It's not just experience coaching. Like not everybody, well, not every cue. you in a position to accelerate your yeah. experience. Not every cue results in the same effect. And we saw this all too often, like one cue that would work you and you just almost have to have like a barrage yeah. of cues to figure out which one works and for that person. Yeah. Also, it doesn't always work for the same person either. Yeah. So like, uh-huh. that's what's interesting. So the, the well. so how, he, like, how he breaks it in learning, he goes through the learning process of how we learn to, to move, then coach. So learn, learn how to learn, coach, and then get specific within your cues. So those Nick are three parts. Also a DJ, correct? Uh, he's a button pusher, yeah. No. No, he's... He pumped air in your tires against DaVinci, and forever, I will forever... Um, pumped air into my tire? I won that argument. No, you just have a little more air in your tires for that argument. It's unsettled. Point is, <laughs> was, was Winkleman's on my shit list. Was uh, Winkleman... <laughs> he wasn't an Avicii fan, huh? No, his... So the the ongoing... And it is not closed. Are, are you kidding? The ongoing argument from McQuilkin is that human instrument players, to coordinate... Human instrument players in a band is far more difficult than a single artist cre- synthesizing and sampling noise to create music. I, I totally disagree. I think. Uh, I think. Band on- uh, I think you can't segment that stuff because music is forever changing. It's kind of like mm-hmm. uh, art. So then you're saying, well, okay, the person who's a painter yes. is a more skilled individual than the person sculptor. who's a graphic designer oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or a sculptor. What well, he would say. And, that, and uh, Rick, uh, Rick, I from would Star- say that. Rick yeah. from Starling he just Gear. Literally said it the other week. Rick from Starling Gear is such a unique artist he does in both. that he can carve, he, uh, like he does, like um, you know, like the jewelry. He paints. He does interior design. He does like uh, works in different metals, and I mean, he every medium that guy has mastered. He can do graphic design. Like he's yeah. he's a really skilled artist in every medium, and uh, that was something where he's like, but you know, he can use his hands to do all these things. Right. So that's my point. So John, I, te- I like I am tempted to typically paraphrase in these scenarios, but I also use the exact verbiage that Tex used. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Come on. We were talking about special effects in movies. And he says he only appreciates any special effect that was sculpted by physical material. Oh he cannot classify These are CGI. hard words. These are hard words. <laughs> he does not appreciate the artist who uses CGI for special effects. Therefore, he cannot classify it as art because it's digital. That was his exact question. Oh, my God. No, I, I miss the days in which the total recall... Yeah, crew had to create all of these visual experiences. The the movie magic. Kurt Russell, the thing. Yeah, like like the movie magic. Okay, so maybe that was. They saw it and then they were able to create it and it was moving. Well, I I always thought uh, Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk. That was was another one I saw. Was was great because I remember when they're like, oh, they're redoing the Hulk. I was like, well, who's going to play the Hulk? And they're like, Edward Norton. And I. And then I remembered it's going to be CGI. Like I always imagined yeah. the Hulk, like the physical representation of the Hulk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the CGI was allowed, was able to do it to like a, a, you know, probably the realm of the comic book because it was so. Like, do you remember oh, yeah. in, in that one where he was like jumping in the desert and was like jumping for miles and yeah. hopping? Yeah. You know, like they would have never been able to do it. if you remember the Lou Ferrigno one. They had him like. Yeah, he's like on a trampoline. Yeah, and he's. And like you can see, he's about to come down yeah, yeah. on the apex of his jump, and then it's and then boop, it cuts boop, boop, to like boop, boop, Paris, and he lands. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I, you know, but like at the time, that was the best we had. It's kind of like uh, when they did the movie Titanic. 
they actually physically built that ship in like a uh, like a soundstage in water down. I think it was down in like Rosarita Beach kind of a deal. Uh, what it was in uh, it was in Belfast. So there's a whole museum. Um, the Titanic Museum. Yeah. Oh. Okay. And that's where they film Lord of the Rings. So Belfast is big. Like movie production. So yeah, they. I mean, they had that whole thing in like, uh, you know, they. And Belfast phys- is also the where the Titanic took off. Mm-hmm. So they had like the physical, like they actually did it. Like that's not CGI. Like that thing goes up and down, and you know, that's and it's cool. I think that's that's neat. But the problem is, uh, in terms of like, financially. Like, I mean, you like you go build that opposed from hiring some really sharp sure. dudes in a room that are doing CGI and, I think and green also, screen. Also, like. It has to come down to lack of familiarity. 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 Is that it? Yeah, familiarity. Of how they do this stuff. Because the tools in these digital... Like, I acknowledge my lack of understanding. Right. Like so, so the tools in this Where software, you framed my argument was so negative against that, I was so positive towards the movie. And But yes, I don't understand what it takes so to like, make Zack Snyder's Beowulf that looks like dog shit. Yeah, so... Well, like, it's not nearly as good as uh, so Big Trouble to, in Little China when the dude gets so mad and he, like, explodes. That's real. Yeah, that really happened. I encourage you to maybe go watch a 10-minute YouTube because there's, there's polygon modeling, then there's texturing, then there's lighting, all of these things. Like, there's individuals who can do all three of those things and build these models. If it makes you feel any better, mm-hmm. I did watch a how-to on Twister and it was one of the first movies with your magical CGI and I thought, oh, this is pretty cool and it looked real. You thought the cow flying looked real? It Well, which one? We gotta end the show. I can't. I, I like, it's, it's, uh, it's the same this cow. Is the fi- <laughs> this is the final episode. We can't, it. we just, it, it's done. Why do we even get in? Anywho, so we're getting back to it and looping it all and closing it back around. Was that the last There context? is uh, a unique combination of books. Uh, there is no one book that you can read that'll give you every answer. And that was going to be my like kind of yeah. lob is you know one thing that we used to talk about at the seminar because like the, even the seminar across the football when we would travel around, we did our best to like give you an off the shelf set of tools. Yeah. And the the metaphor or analogy, if you will, was the Eminem, right? Like when you go into these books, don't search for the whole solution yeah it's one tool like let it be that chocolate filling well we it's on you to create your own thin candy show we've always talked about power athlete being the jeet kundo of strength conditioning mm-hmm. where you know maintain what is or which is also uh the whole theory of the fremen from dune and i just got uh somebody hit me up on instagram the other day that they read the dune series because i recommend them on the podcast and they were like blew my mind but in there the law of the fremen is discard what is useless maintain what is useful mm-hmm. which is also bruce lee's Jeet Kune Do, which is mm-hmm. discard what's useless and maintain what's useful so what i like about bruce's i don't know i haven't read dune is it's context specific so yeah. it pl- like he does take into consideration specificity and individuality because what may not be appropriate at this time for this person might be appropriate at another time for the same person or at a different person. And in line with the, the order of books we introduced, it's not only take these things, it's put it into a system that you can teach. Mm-hmm. So the second half of our books were more coaching and application, where we also take that in consideration with the Power at the methodology. It's, yeah, discard... Taken what is useful, discard what is useless, but put it into a system you can teach. Mm-hmm. And that's in line with the Bruce Lee's portion of it. 
And that's what we aim to do is empower coaches to unlock athletic potential and foster athleticism. Nailed it. Crushed it. Cool. So I guess for the, like, we'll, we'll, we'll put the whole list in the show notes and then links to some of the stuff like John's blog post in Hatfield's interview and stuff like that. So ladies and gentlemen, look at your little show notes, click the link to go to the page and then we'll have it all there for you. And if you have a question, comment, concern, we've got a hotline, and it is wide open, and it is hot. That number is 929-464-464-0. 929-ing-ing-0. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, John. Anytime. Thanks, Tex. Good work. Thanks, books. Well done. We did it again. Until next time. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!